Thank you, Trio, for that. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter number 1 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 1. I was going to play a mean trick on you and have you look for a book of Hezekiah, but I decided some of you didn't look like you were in the mood for a joke. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter number 1. You didn't get your nap today. I don't know. Deuteronomy chapter number 1. And when you found it, uh, would you stand with me? Uh, We're going to read a few verses here, a lot of verses here. Um, But uh, it's good sometimes to look at the entire narrative uh, to get a big picture and know exactly what's taking place. And so Deuteronomy uh, chapter number one is where we're going to be this evening. And we're going to start our reading in verse number 22. It says, And ye came near unto me, every one of you, and said, We will send men before us, and they shall search us out the land and bring us word again by what way we must go up and into what cities we shall come. The saying pleased me well, and I took twelve men of you, one of a tribe, and they turned and went up into the mountain and came unto the valley of Eshel and searched it out. And they took, all, took of the fruit of the land of their hands, uh, in their hands and brought it down unto us and brought us word again and said, It is a good land which the Lord our God doth give us. Notwithstanding, ye would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God. And ye murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Whither shall we go up, our brethren, have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people is greater and taller than we. The cities are great and walled up to heaven. And moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakins there. Then I said unto you, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. The Lord your God, which goeth before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. In the wilderness, where thou hast seen uh, how that the Lord thy God bare thee as a man doth bear his son in all the way that ye went until ye came into this place. Yet in this thing ye did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out a place to pitch your tents and uh, fire by night to show you what way ye should go and in a cloud by day. And the Lord heard the voice of your words and was wroth and swear, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see that good land which I swear to give unto your fathers. Save Caleb the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it. To him will I give the land that he hath trodden upon, and to his children, because he hath wholly followed the Lord. Also the Lord was angry with me for your sake, saying, Thou also shalt not go in thither. But Joshua the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in thither. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones, which he said should be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn you, take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Then ye answered and said unto me, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight according to all that the Lord our God commanded us. And when ye had girded on every man his weapons of war, ye were ready to go up into the hill. And the Lord said unto me, Say unto them, Go not up, neither fight, for I am not among you, lest ye be smitten before your enemies. So I spake unto you, and you would not hear, but rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, and went presumptuously up into the hill. And the Amorites which dwell in that mountain came out against you, and chased you as bees do, and destroyed you in Seir, even unto Hormah. And ye returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord would not hearken to your voice, nor give ear unto you. So ye abode in Kadesh Bardia many days, according unto the days ye abode there. Thank you. You may be seated. 
The book of Deuteronomy is really a book of remembrance. It's the last book of Moses, and Moses knows his time is coming to an end. He's getting ready to pass off the scene. He's not going to be around uh, much longer. And so uh, he knows that the time is about to come when the children of Israel would once again have an opportunity to enter into the promised land. Here in this passage that we just read, Moses is reminding the children of Israel. He's reminding them of the foolishness of their fathers and he's warning them not to make the same mistakes that they did. You see, the children of Israel were an extremely blessed people. On numerous occasions, they saw God working miraculously on their behalf. In fact, in this passage we just read, several of those verses recall some of those specific events. He talks about the fact how uh, God had dealt with them in Egypt and bringing them out. How that God had provided for them in the wilderness. How God had led them by a pillar of fire and a cloud. And yet, time and time again, we see this pattern of God's people who had been extremely blessed, hardening their hearts and rebelling against God. We read of them rebelling against the very one that had blessed them so graciously. And as a result... This generation of Israelites that had lived through the Exodus, you think about all of the miracles that they had seen. They had seen God work through all of the plagues. They had seen God part the Red Sea. And yet this generation of Israelites missed out on the blessings of God in their life. And it was all because they wanted to do things their way. God was not acting in accordance to their expectations. God was not doing the way that they thought it should have been done. You say, well, how could they have possibly responded this way? How could people like this, seeing all that God had done, possibly uh, responded in the way, that they had, the, the way that they had? Don't they remember God's goodness to them? Don't they remember the miracles that God had done for them? Well, hey, before you start judging them so quickly... As God's children, let us not convince ourselves that we're not capable of the same things. How many times have we seen God working on our behalf? Speaking to us through preaching. Working miraculously through situations in your life. Taking things that you thought were mistakes and orchestrating and working them together for good. Reconciling relationships you thought were uh, irreparable. Blessing you in ways that you never thought possible. Meeting and providing for our needs over and over again, and yet if we're honest with ourselves, we too have found ourselves rebelling against the very one that had blessed us. Rebelling against that same God who had been so good to us. We find ourselves living in disobedience to the God that we say that we love, the God that uh, is so good to us, the God that we say that we serve, all because we wanted something done our way. We wanted things according uh, to our terms. And this passage here reminds us of the foolishness of doing things our way. It reminds us of the folly of trying to live according to our plans and our desires. And it provides a very real example of what happens when rather than obeying the commandments of the Lord to go forward, we stay put in unbelief. And so as we look at this passage this evening, to really understand the significance of what's taking place, I think it's helpful if we go back a little bit and look in the book of Genesis because it really provides a little bit of insight uh, to what's happening here in this passage. And so in Genesis chapter number 12, God makes a promise with Abraham. 
Genesis 12 and verse 1 through 3 says, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make thee a great nation. And I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. We refer to this promise and this passage in script, of Scripture as the Abrahamic covenant. It's a covenant that God made with Abraham, and it includes really three basic things, a land, a seed, and a blessing. And this whole passage that we just read, it really revolves around the first part of that covenant that God had made with, with Abraham, that there was going to be a land that he was going to give just for them. God later confirms uh, that covenant. Again, we see another one. We call it the Palestinian covenant, uh, referring to that land in Deuteronomy chapter 30 that God was going to give them. But the Bible refers to this region of land uh, that God promised to them as Canaan. Right? We named our church after that somehow along the way. That was the name we settled on. Uh, but we call it the promised land. Now for us, that's modern day Israel. Really, it's more than that, uh, but that's the, the area that we're speaking of. And there's a lot of debate, even today, as to the legitimacy of the state of Israel. Just last week, unfortunately, even here in America, you had Democrat uh, lawmakers in Congress criticizing Israel. Many in the Muslim world don't think that Israel should have the right to exist. Uh, the Iranian leaders have made it their stated goal to wipe Israel off of the face of the map. And so... According to the Bible, though, that land, it doesn't belong to the Palestinians. It doesn't belong to the Muslims. It belongs to Israel. And that's why, really, as Bible believers, we should stand with Israel. We should support them. The Bible says that we're to, we're to do that. It's a shame that we're not doing more. But we see that this land, it was promised to Israel by God. And we spoke this morning about those promises that God makes. Uh, we saw the significance of that. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses is recalling all that had happened previously in the book of Numbers. You want to go back and read the, the first-hand account of this, you can read it there uh, as well. But uh, he's recalling to them the fact that God had given them an opportunity to enter into the promised land, and they blew it. God was going to bring to fruition this promise that he had made to them, this land portion of the Abrahamic covenant. This was the land that they had been longing for, and it was right before them. It was within their grasp, but they were unable to enter the land. And we see there are several parts of this, and if you want to take notes, you can. That's fine. I wrote down, uh, they all start, I tried really hard to alliterate, and so some of the words are a little bit of a stretch, but they fit. Uh, but we see an indisputable readiness. Look back uh, in the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 1, in verse number 6, it says, The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. Turn you and take your journey and go to the mount of the Amorites and to all the places nigh thereunto in the plain, in the hills, and in the vale, and in the south, and by the seaside, to the land of the Canaanites, unto the land, uh, and unto Lebanon, unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Behold, verse 8, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess it, possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. 
We see this indisputable readiness. Like we said this morning, uh, I mentioned and alluded to this, is that when God was preparing His people or preparing its leaders for a task, oftentimes it accompanied a promise. There was a promise along with these instructions. And here we see God is restating the promise that He had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's reminding them, hey, I promised you this land. This is what I've been talking about. This is what you've been looking for. Now go and enter into it. God is informing them that he's ready to make good on that promise. God was ready for them to advance. In verse 6, he says, you've dwelt long enough in this mount. Uh, he said, um, <clears throat> he says, it's time to go. Take your journey. Uh, turn, get up into the place that I told you to go. They had been camping at Mount Horeb. That's Mount Sinai for about a year. And God had been instructing Moses on all that he was requiring of his people. And finally God says, hey, it's time to move forward. Pack your bags. It's time to go. We're going to enter into the promised land. You know, God's plan is not always for you to stay in the same place. Did you know that? Definitely not spiritually, but many times not physically as well. God's plan is not always for you to be in the same place forever. Sometimes we get the idea, well, hey, I'm just going to be in the same place forever and ever. And that's why some parents struggle when their children want to leave and follow God's calling on their life. You know, Johnny's called to serve God, called to serve in a church. But hey, we got a church right here. Why can't you serve here? Susie, she's called to be a missionary. Why can't, why can't Covington be her mission, mission field? Why can't she stay here? Well, that's not always how God works. And all throughout the Bible, we see God moving people here and there. And now listen, sometimes it is God's will for you to be in one place for a long time. Uh, but often God moves people and he calls them to move forward. Think about what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. We shouldn't become so attached to the one place that we are that we're not willing to go somewhere else that God may have us to go. Imagine all that they would have missed out on if Noah had stayed at his house, if Lot had stayed in Sodom, if Israel had stayed in Egypt, if Israel had stayed here at Mount Sinai, if Paul had stayed in Antioch, if Philip had stayed at Samaria, if Abraham had stayed at Ur. They would have all missed out on God's plan for their life. And I don't know where you're at with your, in your walk with the Lord, but I can say this emphatically. God doesn't want you to stay there spiritually. God doesn't want you to just coast along. It's not His will for any of us to stay where we're at. Perhaps you found yourself in a spiritual plateau or maybe even worse, on a spiritual decline. Maybe there's a time where you were on fire for the Lord, but you've just kind of mellowed out, kind of flattened out spiritually. Maybe there's a decision that you know God is wanting you to make and you've been holding back. You're not willing to take that next step. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe it's discipleship. Maybe it's serving in a ministry. Uh, whatever it may be, God expects us to be taking steps forward spiritually. I wonder if you were to look over the last year of your life, what kind of steps have you taken spiritually? As God is most definitely wanting to work in your life, how have you allowed him to work? What steps have we been willing to take? Listen, wherever you are, don't stay where you are. Don't be satisfied with where you've always been or what you've always done. God was saying to Israel, hey, you've been here long enough. He's ready for them to move forward. He's ready for them to advance. But not only was he ready for them to advance, he was ready for them to acquire. Look at verse 8 again. It says, behold, I've set the land before you. Go in 
and possess the land. He wanted them to acquire it. He's saying, listen, there's land for you to possess. It was land that God had promised to them. It was the land that as, as, as uh, children of Israel in Egypt, as they slaved away, it was the land that they dreamed of. It was the land that they had longed for, that land that was flowing with milk and honey, a land with grapevines so large it took two men to carry them. This was a prosperous land. This was one that was desired, uh, one that was very desirable. And God told them, hey, it's yours. Go in, possess it. He even told them, hey, I'm going to let you go in there and you're going to conquer all the people of that land. He said, hey, don't bother building houses. Just take the ones that are there. This was a great land. God had the ability to make all these promises come to fruition. And there was no doubt that God wanted them to have this land. God was ready. He said, hey, I'm ready for you to advance. I'm ready for you to acquire. There was only one problem. It was full of giants. There were giants in the land. And so we see God is ready, but there was a restriction on God's part. He was restricted. There's no doubt in my mind that if Israel decided, hey, we're going to go in, they would have been victorious in every battle. They'd have smashed them. It'd be the most upside down battle you've ever seen in your life. They would have taken everything there. They would have enjoyed all the promises that God had said. But God was not able to work. And the reason for this was their unbelief. God couldn't work because of their unbelief. They had gotten their eyes off of the omnipotent, sovereign God of the universe and focused on really what was something minuscule in comparison. A few giants. I believe that that's how it is so many times in our life even. God wants to work in the life of individuals and groups of people, but He can't because of unbelief. The only thing that prevents God from working in our life is our failure to believe and to trust in Him. You know, I think about the fact that God wants every person to be saved. That's His will. I believe God is able to save every person. But you know, the only reason that every person isn't saved is because of unbelief. I believe that God wants to to revive His people. I believe God would would be pleased to send a revival to every church. I believe that God would be pleased to send a revival all over the world. But there there are places that will not experience revival because of their unbelief. I believe that God is wanting to do great things here uh, at Canaan. I believe that God is able to do great things here at Canaan. But if he doesn't, the only reason is going to be because of unbelief. It's not going to be his lack of ability. It's not going to be his lack of power. It will be the result of unbelief. You see, it wasn't that God didn't want to do something great on their behalf. It was that he couldn't because of their unbelief. Say, well, what led to this unbelief? Well, look at verse number 26. It says, notwithstanding, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of your God. There was disobedience. The reason they weren't able to enter the land, the reason God couldn't work on their half is because there was a group of people who didn't want to obey God. They didn't want to follow God. If you look back, we're not going to read them, but in verses 20 and 21, you'll see that Moses is recalling uh, to them and sharing with them the word of the Lord. He's saying, listen, this is what God has told me. And he's encouraging them not to be discouraged. He's saying, listen, God gave me a heads up. There's giants there. Okay, but don't be discouraged. Remember what God said. We're going to conquer. We're going to be victorious. We're going to go in and we're going to take that land. But to them, God's word wasn't reliable enough. God's word wasn't good enough. I mean, think about that. Never mind the fact 
that God had promised and told them that it was a good land, they had to see it for themselves. Right? As if they had some reason to doubt God. As if God had told them something that wasn't true before. As if God had led them astray uh, in the past. God had let them down somehow. Uh, and so they had to send spies out to search it. You know what happened? Even after searching out the land and sending spies for themselves to see what it was like, you know what they found out? It's just like what God said it would be. It's exactly what God said. And even though it was exactly what God said, they still chose to rebel against the commandment of the Lord. You know, it's amazing that there are so many Christians who want to see God work in their life. And I believe God wants to work in their life, but he can't. Because of rebellion. You know, there there are people who say, hey, I want my family to grow spiritually. I want to see my kids involved in church. I want them to love God. And yet, God's not able to do it because they rebel against the commandment to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There's some that say, man, I want God to bless me financially. I want to see God provide an abundance in my life. But, you know, God can't do that because they're rebelling and they're not giving him the time. They say, well, I want to see God use me to make a difference. I want to see God use me to reach people. But he can't because they're rebelling and they're not sharing the gospel with every creature, with the lost around them. They want to see God grow them spiritually, but he can't because they're rebelling by not studying the word of God. It's not that God's unable to do all of those things. He is. It's because of disobedience. It's because of rebellion. They know what God is expecting of them, and yet they refuse to obey. See, rather than doing what God has commanded, we try to figure out our own way. We try to scheme and get the things that we want. When are we going to realize that our way, it doesn't work? We fail way more often when we try to do things our way. When are we going to quit trying to make things work and just start obeying God? We see that he couldn't work because they were, diso- they were disobedient, but, obedient, but there were also dissenters. Look in verse 27, and ye murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he hath brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have, been dis- have discouraged our heart. You know, I don't personally believe that everyone woke up that morning and decided, hey, you know, we're not going to go in. We're not going to do it. We're going to rebel. I, I tend to think there was probably at least a small group of people that couldn't sleep the night before. They were just so excited to go in. They're fired up. They're like, man, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. God's promised it to us. We're right on the edge. All we got to do is cross over and we're going to go in. It's going to be ours finally. I mean, it's like the night before Christmas. Like they're fired up. They're ready to go. I think there were probably some who were on the fence, whether or not they were going to go forward. They knew there were risks. They knew what God said. They hadn't made up their mind. They weren't sure which way they were going to lean. They probably wanted to believe God. Uh, They probably wanted to see what God would do if they would obey and trust him. The problem came when they chose to follow the counsel of man rather than the counsel of God. They decided that they were going to listen to the murmuring. And when they listened to the murmuring, it says they got discouraged in verse number 20. Can you hear the crybabies in verse 27? God's so mean to us. I can't believe he'd make us have to fight giants. I can't believe he'd make us do something hard. God doesn't love us. They're just whining. None of that's true. That's never happened in their life. How ridiculous. But others heard it and began to doubt as well. 
These are the kind of people that say, well, I just don't think it's ever going to work. I know pastor says he wants to do it that way, but I just don't see what's wrong with the way we've always done it. Do you realize, think about this, there were hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that were forced to journey in the wilderness for 40 years, miss out on God's blessings, and ultimately die because of the bad advice of 10 men. I mean, think about that. The report that these spies brought back didn't just affect themselves. It affected their families. It affected their children. It affected other families around them. You know, be careful about what you say around other people. We need to think about the influence that we have. Don't let our lack of faith and your lack of obedience cause others to miss out on what God has for them. I'll say it a real nice way. Keep your rebellion to yourself. Keep your unbelief to yourself. God wanted to work for them. He wanted them to be blessed, but he was restricted because of their unbelief. And this unbelief, it had some inexpedient results. Look in verse, uh, we don't don't have to read all these, but in verse 34 through 40, we see the results of what happened. You know what happens, that God says, hey, look, you're not going to go in. You're an evil generation. I'm not giving you that land. No way. You didn't want to listen to me? Fine. Have it your way. You know, God doesn't force his will upon anyone. He doesn't. He's not going to make you do something if you don't want to do it. And unfortunately, sometimes he gives us what we want. You ever stop to think about what would your life be like if God gave you everything you asked for? Everything you wanted? It'd be a mess. I mean, I don't even want to think about that. God said to Israel, fine, you you don't want to go into the promised land? You're not going to go into the promised land. And instead, they were forced to wander and die in the wilderness. They never experienced God's blessings and all that he had promised and planned for them. You remember, it's been a little, probably longer than I realize now, but not that long ago, it feels like we went through that book, Changed into His Image, by Jim Berg. Y'all remember doing that for Sunday school? You remember what Jim Berg said there in that first chapter about uh, the danger of going our own way? of doing our own thing, doing what we want to do. He said this, I thought this was really powerful. He said, the toxicity of our heart is so potent that when God wants to judge a man, all he has to do is turn that man over to his own heart. Romans 1 describes the degradation of a man's heart. He says, you and I have enough evil residing in us that if God were to let us have our own way, we would destroy ourselves. Rather than demanding our own way, we ought to be begging God never to let us have what we demand. And that's what they wanted. They wanted to do things their way. They wanted it on their terms. And that's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be when we decide for ourselves that we're going to elevate our will above God's will. You might say, well, bless God, I'm going to do what I want. If it's his will or not, well, be careful. Because it won't just affect you. It will affect your family. It'll affect those around you. You may miss out on all that God has for you. I know people who've gotten sideways with the Lord, gotten sideways with the church, blamed everybody else for their problems and failed to see their own rebellion. You know what? Some of them aren't even alive today. And you know who's living with the consequences of that decision? Their children and their family and those around them. pastor says it this way. He says, you can make your decisions, but your decisions make you. Meaning that you can, you're going to become the product of your decisions whether you like it or not. Your decisions have consequences and sometimes 
they're more painful than you envisioned that they would be. And so remember, these, these didn't just affect them, but not only do we see some inexperienced results, we see God's inexorable response. It's a big word. You can add that to your word of the day. It means unyielding, unalterable. You know, when they made their decision, it was final. God said, fine, you made your decision, that's it. He wasn't going to be moved. He wasn't going to be affected by their prayers or their petitions to him. Look what it says in verse number 41. Then he answered, after they realized, I mean, verse 40 is really a death sentence. Listen to it. He says, but as for you, turn you, take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. I mean, that's it. That, that, that's what they got to look forward to until they die. Go into the wilderness. Have fun. Enjoy that. You wanted that so bad you didn't want to go in? Go hang out in the wilderness. And then verse 41, then he answered and said unto me, we have sinned against the Lord. They, they realized they made a big mistake. They recognized, man, we messed up bad. He says, we'll go up and fight against, uh, according to all that the Lord our God commanded us. And when ye had girded on every man his weapons of war, you're ready to go up into the hill. And God said, whoa, 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 don't go up. Don't fight. He said, man, I'm not among you. This is a suicide mission. You're never going to make it. But yet they went up presumptuously into the hill and we see the results. They got beat up. They came back. They wept before the Lord. Verse 45. But the Lord, it says, would not hearken to your voice nor give ear unto you. See, when God made his decision, really, when Israel made their decision, it was final. And as soon as they had made up their mind, that was it. God says, hey, you made your bed, sleep in it. You made your decision, live with it. Their choice had been made and it was final. You see, even after they realized their terrible decision, they tried to fix it and get it right, but God didn't let them. They, they went on a suicide mission. They thought, man, you know, we're going we're gonna to do it. We're going to make it happen one way or another. And God says, man, I'm not with you. You're going to be defeated. And that did happen. Why? It says because they acted presumptuously in verse 43. They acted presumptuously. They assumed that everything uh, was going to, that God was going to be with them just like he had been with them before. God was just going to do it because, you know, that's just who God is. You know, it's okay. God's going to make it work out. Well, God didn't. God didn't go with them. Their attitude was, hey, we're going to arrive at the same place one way or the another, another. So does it really matter how we get there? They acted as if God's presence and God's blessings were automatic. They were going through the motions, but God wasn't in it anymore. And when they cried out to him, when they wept to him, God says, I'm not listening to what you have to say. That's a scary place to be. God's not going to hear you. God's not going to listen to you. It was a final decision. You know, sometimes we fail to recognize that our actions and our decisions have consequences. There are consequences to the choices that we make. And you know, a lot of people, we do what Israel did, and we sin presumptuously. We think, oh, well, I'm just, I'm going to do it, I'm going to sin, and hey, if something bad happens, hey, look, that's what 1 John 1 9 is for, right? I'm just going to confess it, everything's going to be hunky dory, God's going to be good with it, right? No. Hey, look, I'm thankful for grace, I'm thankful for forgiveness, I'm thankful that we confess our sins. That's a true promise, you know that? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that doesn't take Galatians 6, 7 out of the Bible. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's a promise too. See, I believe that Israel, they were settling for plan B that day. They settled for something less 
than God had. And there are many Christians, I think, that are settling for plan B in their life. God has great things planned for them. But for some reason, maybe rebellion, maybe it's unbelief, maybe it's the allurement of the world. They choose not to follow God's plan. Maybe it's surrendering to full-time ministry, but settling for what we might think is a profitable career. Maybe it's a remaining pure and waiting for the one that God has for them to marry, and yet giving into the lust of the flesh and settling for plan B. I heard a story about a young man who was getting ready to graduate from college, and for many months he had admired this beautiful sports car at a dealer's showroom. And knowing that his father could afford it, knowing that his dad had the money for that, he told his dad, that's all I want. All I want is that sports car. Well, as graduation day approached, he awaited signs for his, to see whether or not his dad had gotten him that car. And finally, on the morning of his graduation, his dad called him into his study. And his dad told him how proud he was to have such a fine son. And he gave to him a beautifully wrapped gift box. Curious but somewhat disappointed, he began to open that box. And inside of that box, he found a lovely leather-bound Bible with his name embossed in gold on the front. Angrily, he raised his voice to his father and he said, with all your money, you got me a Bible? And he stormed out and he left. Many years passed and the young man was very successful at his business. He had a family, had a beautiful home, but he had never talked to his father again. And he realized his father was probably getting very old and thought, perhaps I should go and visit him. And so he arranged to go and see him. But before he could do so, he received, received a phone call informing him that his father had passed away and had willed to him all of his possessions. When he arrived at the father's home, there was sadness and regret that began to fill his heart. He began to search through his father's things, and there he found that Bible, brand new, just as it had been given to him on that graduation day. And he took that Bible, and with tears in his eyes, he began to flip through it and see verse after verse that his father had carefully underlined for him, And as he was flipping through the Bible and reading those words, a key dropped out from the back of the Bible with a tag with the dealer's name on it that said, paid in full. See, he had what he wanted, but it didn't come the way he thought it should. It wasn't packaged the way that he thought it should have been. And how often do we miss God's plan for our life because it's not packaged the way that we thought it should be? It's not how we expected it should have come. And we live in a society today that longs for instant gratification, right? I want what I want when I want it. That's their motto. There's no praying about it. There's no seeking the Lord's will. There's no waiting on God. And, and even as Christians, we fall prey to this mentality and we start to scheme and devise plans to try to get what we want and still seem spiritual. And we end up making decisions that we have to live with that we can't go back on. Hey, can I urge you, Follow God's plan. Follow God's will. You don't want your plan. You don't want your will. You want what God has for you. Don't fall into the same trap that Israel did. And so we see that there was the, the uh, we see lastly here, thankfully there was a, there was a remedy. There was a remedy. We know Israel did eventually make it into the promised land. They received that inheritance that God had promised them. But it wasn't without a whole lot of pain and grief. It wasn't without a whole generation dying in the wilderness. 
You know, I'm thankful that God is a God of multiple chances. And even when we make terrible decisions, there's still a remedy. He can take the bad choices that we make and he can work them together for good in our life. Each time we return to him, he embraces us with arms wide open. You know, the only thing that God can't fix is a heart of unbelief. It's a shame that it took them as long as it did to make it to where they needed to be. It's a shame that a whole generation had to die without experiencing the fulfillment of God's promises. I mean, think about how much easier it would have been if they had just obeyed the first time. If they had just trusted God and obeyed the first time. If they had just listened to God and followed His direction, there would have never been all the promises, the problems that they had had to face. You know, I, I said this earlier and I want to say it again, is that I believe with all my heart, that God has great things planned for our church. I believe that God has great things that he wants to do through our church and through the people in our church. I think that just like Israel, uh, God is wanting to do some great things. There are exciting things ahead, but you know, the outcome is going to be determined by whether or not we're going to trust God and obey what he tells us to do. It's a profound thought. I know we hear it often, but it's true. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. God has great thoughts, great plans for us. The choice is, are we going to do things God's way or are we going to do things our way? Hey, can I urge you? Choose God's way. The decisions you make, they're going to have effects beyond you. It'll affect your family, it'll affect your children, it'll affect other church members. And if we insist upon our will, you know, God may very well give that to us. But it's not what we want. It'll come at a cost. It won't be without consequences. And so don't let a heart of unbelief keep God from working in your life. It'd be great if we would all decide tonight, hey, we're not going to stay put in unbelief. We're not going to refuse to go forward. Listen, let's avoid the wilderness. Let's live a life of faith. Let's go forward believing that God is going to do great things and let's see him work in each one of our lives. Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.